Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 327. We're coming from the rich, saturated month of Tishrei, of all the high holidays, and entering now into the month of Cheshvan. We took a break of several weeks of my life due to the holidays being on Sundays, but now we resume with even more gusto and passion than ever as we enter the new year, Tovshin Pe'alaf. This program is dedicated in honor of the engagement of Menachem Mendel Leiter and Esther Jacobson, dedicated by the Jacobson family. The Rebbe taught us that every situation is an opportunity. So even though one can argue that, look, Tishrei, the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Shemini Atzeres, Simchas and all the days in between, elevated us all, so now it would seem to be a downtime. No. Everything is an opportunity. We're now empowered with the resources we were given during the Tishrei season to help us enter the new year. And this is indeed the whole kavana and purpose of existence, is not to remain on a lofty spiritual level, but to bring that spirituality and that inspiration into our mundane daily lives. So in time, Cheshvan represents exactly that purpose. So in space you would say, the birth of a human being is the descent of the soul from the higher spiritual levels to this physical world to make a dirabetachtenim, a home for the divine in this material world, the lowest of all worlds. And in time, that's like the transition from Tishrei to Cheshvan. So it li- within lies the actual purpose of existence. Now is the real litmus test of what we accomplished. Because you see it not when everything is a celebration. In a month like this month, as we shall be discussing. Now, we cannot ignore the fact that we're living in unique time. Tishrei and now Cheshvan, for the first time perhaps in history, we have a global disruption, a pandemic, coupled with, especially in the United States, political polarization, unprecedented, with the election season, tripled by the racial tensions, and by so many other factors that nobody could have even written such a script. So Tishrei was challenging for many of us. Not everyone was able to go to shul. Not everybody was able to celebrate the usual way. But as we discussed at length, especially once COVID-19 began, around Purim time, seven months ago, that the Ebershter runs the world. And every situation, does not ask us to do something we don't have the power to do. It may not be in our comfort zone. It may not be the conventional, ritualistic way we usually do things. But that does not mean you cannot serve God, God forbid. On the contrary, it means you have the opportunity to now serve in a new way. Not new activities, but Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot was an opportunity to do it in a way that was never done before. Precisely because of the challenges. 
And the same, even more so, can be said about Cheshvan. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about this transition. So one of the central themes of the Rebbe as we would speak about when we would go from Tishrei into Cheshvan. In Tavshinun, the Rebbe spoke a Sikha and explained and asked the question, why in the month of Cheshvan do we not find even one holiday? Every month of the year, there's at least one holiday. In Kislev will be Hanukkah. In Tevis, there's Asar Tevis. Even though it's a fast day, but it's a significant day. It'll be Yehovcha Yom HaMelel Lamaidim Tevim. V'sosun Simcha Lamaidim Tevim, to a holiday. In Oder, you have Purim. In Nisan, you have Pesach. In Ir, the whole month is a month of counting the mitzvahs for you have Lag Ba'emer, you have Pesach Sheni. In Sivan Shvuas, in Tamos Shivosah Betamos, again, you have Chiyom Emelu. In Ov, you have Tishabov, Tuba Ov. And Elul, the whole month of Elul is a month of Marachamim. Only month of the year, there's no holiday. And this contrast couldn't be stronger. From a month that's Merubah Bemeides, most of it is holidays, which is Tishrei. A month that's called in, this, in, in Medrash, Chedesh Ashvi, from the word Shvi, Muzba. It's sated, saturated, filled with holidays. Not one holiday. Got Rosh Hashanah, Sarasim Eitshuvah, Yom, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, the days before Sukkot, Sukkot, Heshayin Rabash, Minyat Sedah, Simchas And suddenly, in stark contrast, you jump into a month of Cheshvan with no holidays. Could have been allocated a little more evenly. And the Rebbe explains because that's precisely the purpose of Cheshvan. That when you don't have the giluyim, the revelations, what will you do? So if Cheshvan had even one holiday, there'd be some, I guess, crutch. I don't want to use that word exactly, but that's the idea. Now you're thrown into so-called a barren month. Never barren, but in a revealed way. And this tests how you experienced and what you learned from and how you were empowered by the holidays. And this is a, a global lesson in everything in life and especially in our time. When things are riding well, it's relatively easy to do follow our routines because it's our comfort zone. But when we're challenged and we're suddenly thrust into a new environment, something unexpected, upended, destabilized, disruptions, upheavals, whatever you want to call it, unknowns and uncertainties, that's when we are revealed to see who you truly are. That's the month of Cheshvan. So it's actually a month of the deepest revelation because it discovers who you are, not what you are like under the influence of others or of po the power of holidays or other things that are giving you strength. What will you do when you stand so to speak, alone. We're never alone, but the perception is one. So the transition, the transition therefore, from Tishrei to Cheshvan is about that. That's its essential message, and it couldn't be more timely. Compare it to a tea bag. You don't know how strong it is until you put it into hot water. You don't know who you are until you're thrown, thrust or thrown into a place that you're not comfortable and we were trained we were trained by the Rebbe we were trained by the Rabbeim by Chsidis 
precisely for times like this. Now, of course, we would love to have everything going exactly as planned, comfortable, schedules, certainties. Here we have the chaos, the chaos of whether what's going to happen with our schools, with our children, some of us with our jobs, where we're living. How long is this going to drag on? Health issues. And it's not a game or a joke. Serious things happen. People died. Many losses. And yet, we're not given a challenge we cannot deal with. Not just deal with, but comes, become stronger in the process. And that's what Mar Cheshven is. The Rebbe explains the word Mar Cheshven, Mar. Mar comes from the word bitter. Because you don't have the revelations. There are different explanations for Mar. It also has from Mar Midli, like a drop, the beginnings of rain in Israel, Tfilas Geshem, and other meanings. But it signifies a type of drought. And at the same time, it brings out a deeper strength. So it's a lesson in general, and especially for our times. Someone writes to me, Dear Rabbi Jacobson, it's not your fault that the past few Sundays were Yom Tov days and you weren't able to do your Sunday night broadcast. But can we ask for a two-hour special to catch up on lost time when the holidays are over? Thank you. So this is a good example. When you have something that seemingly you're unable to experience, but then you double and triple it. Should I do this two-hour thing? I'm still considering it. I'm not going to do it today. But maybe I'll uh, add a little time to each of the next programs to so-called compensate. Uh, I want to make sure that this is a Dover HaShovel Lekel, that people, an hour is also quite long. Uh, two hours may be taxing people's patience. So not that I question my own ability to share some ideas, but uh, I have to always do things with the measure. But I appreciate your words, and I uh, shared them with everybody. So that's exactly what the Rabbeim did every year, Rosh Hashanah, every year, the new year. They would always take on a new achlata, a new resolution. That's something we should learn from. Every year, take on a new resolution. What's the resolution we'll take on this year? So I can make a suggestion in general, as chassidim especially, your futzamay nesecha chutzah is always the core mission to bring the Geula, Osim Mar Damalk Meshichah, and especially in this time where people are more receptive than ever, perhaps the resolution should be, in addition to your own adding and increasing in your learning of Torah in general, Chassidus specifically, perhaps to also commit to share with others. Commit yourself every week to share a thought, an idea, an inspiration with 10 others that you have not communicated with. It can be people from family, friends, strangers, people you met at work, your sphere, where you, where you orbit. Imagine if each of us takes a proactive action of that nature. It's not the numbers, but that creates energy. That generates and creates the ripple effect, what we call the pro'ulanim sheches, a perpetual impact on ourselves and on others. Just a suggestion. But that's exactly what's expected of us right now. 
Many people say, okay, we're going from the holidays. Okay, now we have to settle back in. Now we have the pandemic challenges. And these challenges only exacerbated and amplified by the crazy media and the political politicization of it all. So we could say, yeah, let's say, let me just uh, manage, try to maintain my life. No, it's not enough. We have to go on the offense. The best defense is offense, both for ourselves and for our children and our families. So as we enter this new year, Tov Shem some have, based on the Rebbe's footnote, back in Tov Nun Aleph, have identified this year as Teheshnas Ployus The Rebbe then said Teheshnas Nifloyus Arenu, from the Pesach, Kimet Seischem Eretz Mitzrayim Arenu Nifloyus. So Ployus Arenu. So not just uh, doing things regularly, but Ployus, a form of a pella. Wonder, Chassidus explains, means going beyond your regular. Tanya Perik Tazvav, such a fundamental Perik chapter, where he talks about the power of that shift. That you go beyond your comfort zone, beyond your routine, beyond your pattern. That is what is expected of us. And it brings out the best in us and has in a power to transform the environment and the world around us. And especially in our day and age, with all these challenges, it's not just enough to play defense. We have to show a living example of what it means to lead. And lead doesn't necessarily mean over millions of people. It means in your environment, in your community, in your personal life, to initiate, to be proactive and not reactive. So that's what Cheshvan tests us with. What are you going to do? In a general sense, you could say everything after post Gimel Tammuz is in a sense also that same idea. What When the Rebbe was here revealed, we all danced. When the Rebbe wasn't difficult. You come, it was a, a Gavaldika party, a party. The Rebbe would lead the way. People just lifted on his wings. But now when that's concealed, what are you going to do? And the Rebbe told us 30 years ago, Chavches Nissen this year will be 30 years when the Rebbe said, I did everything I can do. Tut alzvas irkan. Do what you can. That is the Cheshvan message. Do what you can when the gili of Tishrei is not there, when the gili of the Rebbe is not in the fullest sense of the word. That doesn't mean it's not accessible, but it means you need that extra effort that you need to initiate because someone else is not going to do it for you. And in a way, this is the whole mission of the seventh generation, Deir Ashvi. We're now in the seven years from when the Rebbe assumed leadership that, what did he say after the Maimah? Don't deceive yourself into thinking I'm going to do the work for you. I, don't, I will not deprive from, I will not decline and deprive you from my help, but you have to do your work. So and that is a fundamental principle in general in Yiddishkeit, but specifically that is emphasized in this month of Cheshvan. We also have, it's also the, it's also the week of Pashas Noyach, the second Pasha of the Torah. And as I mentioned, it's Rosh Chedesh Cheshvan, which is Rosh Chedesh, the head of the month. So everything about Cheshvan that we just discussed, this is the head, as emphasized Chesidus, that the head, Rosh, is more than just Tchilas HaChedesh. Like Rosh Hashanah is more than just Tchilas HaShanah. That's just the beginning and the top of the year, the top, like the head of the year, but it's the head which is also kalal, encompasses like the central nervous system, the entire body. Same in time, the head of the year or the head of the month encompasses the, all the days of the month. So this is a day when you, what you established today carries us through this month 
and of course then continues on the months that follow. So what is Pasha's Neyach? The same theme. In Pasha Bereshis we read how God created the world. It's all God's work from above. First day, second day, light, separation, and so on. Until the sixth day, first Rosh Hashanah, God creates the human being, Adam and Chava, man and woman, male and female in the divine image, and charges them, serve and protect. That's the work you have to do. Transform this world. Then there is, of course, the sin, Chet of Etzadas, and the descent. But overall, Breshis, as its name implies, is the beginning. It's the beginning. It's the creation. Everything is put into place. Where does it come to a point of uh, really hitting rock bottom? Noyach. At the end of Breshis, we, start, we read already what happened with the generations. It continued to devolve corruption, worse, more deteriorating, till the place of Mola Oretz Chomas, beginning of Noyach, this week's passion. The earth was filled with chamas, with crime, the worst crimes. And what happened with all the giluim of Bereshis? They were taken for granted. The Rebbe explains a number of sikhs. They lived long because it was chazdeh baruch The first 26 generations, like a child. He's given a lot of gifts, but sometimes when you're given gifts, you don't appreciate them. So now came the unfortunate mabel. The mabel because Molaretz Chomis had to be cleansed. But the mabel was not an end in itself. It was meant to create Elam Chodesh, a new world. And now you're going to have to demonstrate with your own efforts, not my gift of long life. That's why life changed to 120 years, life expectancy, instead of the long years of those that lived before the Mabal. Now you have to do it So after the Mabal begins the journey of a new world, Noyach entering, exiting the Teva and entering the world, a new world with all the trepidation and hesitation, with the goal of transforming the world. But this time, now you have to do it on your own efforts. So Noyach captures that paradox. On one hand, the world comes to this dark place. Then there's the cleansing. That's why it says the 40 days and nights of the Mabul is compared to a mikveh, or 40 cubits. A tarasa avir, tarasa oritz, in order to rebuild. But this time, with much, with much more deliberate effort coming from below, a cheshven type of approach. So Noyach always corresponds to the beginning of cheshven, cheshven for that reason, to give us that message and that strength. And at the end of Pasha Noyach, what do we have? The birth of Avram Avinu. So like it says in the Sikhs of the Fridi Karebbe, that Pasha's Noyach was a kalamut nevoch, a more sadder week. But Pasha Neich not incompletely because at the end of the Pasha is the birth of Avram Avinu which is going to be the birth of light. He will begin to reverse the process. As the famous Medrash that cited in the beginning of Basel Ligani that the seven generations where the Shekhinah was concealed and removed from the earth to the first heaven to the second heaven to the third heaven and so on and Avram begins to bring it back down.
Because Avram began to recognize, again, through his own efforts, not from above. He went on a journey, a journey from below upward, from, from, from the bottom up, to discover God and to bring God to everyone in this world. And that would then only accumulate with Yitzchak and Yaakov and all the way to Moshe Rabbeinu, seventh generation from Avram, who would bring the Shekhinah back down to earth as it was in the beginning of time, before Adam and had eaten from the tree of knowledge, of good and evil. So you have really in this chapter, in these chapters, the story of life as it is within the months of Tishrei and Cheshvan, the story of life. We begin in a very beautiful, high, lofty spiritual place. We then thrust into a world that is much darker with a mission of transforming that challenge into a far greater place. Because after Avram and Moshe and then the generations that are to come, including our generation, we would ultimately bring the Geula, which will be even greater than the revelation that was there in the beginning of time. Because, as I said earlier, the challenge is meant to bring out even deeper strengths. And again, in this time period that we're in, the message couldn't be more relevant because it's exactly what we're going through. Whatever disruption, whatever unknown, is all part of the deeper plan. Again, not something we asked for, what we wanted, expected, but this is what it is. So we have to learn how to rise above the challenges and actually transform them into tremendous assets and strengths. And that's absolutely possible. I've seen it with my own eyes, how people during these challenging times have risen to the occasion in the most beautiful ways, giving, kindness, volunteering, putting themselves even at risk. I don't mean in a negative way, in a health way, but I mean putting themselves out to help another. So this is... This is the potential each of us has. Does that mean that many of us are not challenged and we can't find those deeper strengths? Yes, that's possible. That's why we're here together to talk about it, to learn about it, to look to chassidus, to look to the rabbeim for strength. That's essentially the mission of my life, chassidus applied. So with that transition, let me answer one more question regarding this. Someone asked, is there a significance and connection that the flood of Noyach lasted 40 days, and Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Truth be told, I did not see the connection. I have not seen in any form the connection. I'm sure a little more research I'll find it. If any of you actually do see or find something, please share it with me. And here's a good opportunity. Go to chassidusapply.com. There's an, an, a forum there. You can comment, ask questions completely anonymously, or share any sources or anything you'd like to comment on or what I'm discussing, and I will share it in the coming episodes with uh, the listeners. So is there significance? So ostensibly, there, I'm sure there is a significance. I mentioned Arboim Yerim is also, Arboim saw the 40 cubits of the mikveh, matentate of 40 days. 40 has sometimes understood as being encompassing all the four worlds times 10, 10 times 4. There's many different meanings in mem, Mem is a very significant word. In every letter in the Hebrew alphabet is significant, but it has many meanings. The beginning of Shas, the end of Shas, Me'emesai, and Sholem, Mem. And there's a small Mem, there's a Mem Psucha, Mem Stuma. So there's different levels of what Mem represents in Chassidus and Kabbalah. So I'm sure there's a connection between the two. I mean, the most, most one that I would most 
the one that's most obvious seems to be that Mabel was the beginning of cleansing the world. Lech Lecha and Avram would be the beginning of the Yichud of Matan Teira, says the Arizal. So Matan Teira, in a way, is a conclusion of this all because that's when the world ultimately is ready for the fusion of matter and spirit. That there would be a fusion between being able to transform the physical world into a spiritual environment. Taking the physical world and turning it into a chefze, to actually turning it into a chefze shalgdusha, something holy. Not just to bring holiness there, but to transform existence itself into a holy environment. So that, of course, is what a mikveh is all about. Uh, a bitl, tefillah, tefillah with a base. To immerse yourself in a mikveh is the same letters as the Mitla Rebbe brings in Siddur, Imdach. Is the same letters as habitl, which means the subjugation or the, the when a person goes into mikveh, all of you is completely covered, so you're completely surrounded and engulfed by a higher presence. Mayim representing das Hashem, deus Hashem, and it's the, and it's actually the way to transform the mola oritz chomos, a world filled with crime, with mola oritz deus Hashem kamayim leyamechas. Same few first words, Mala Aris, the world is filled, but what is it filled with? Will it be filled with the, with the corruption and the crime and the injustices of Hamas during the time of the Mabal? All will be filled, and of course that's the Kavona, to fill it and transform it to a world filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea, and then will be no evil and no destruction because it's filled with divine knowledge. When the, there was already a certain taste of this during Matan Teda, as the Alta Rebbe says in chapter 36 in Tanya. So there you have it all connected to Mem. And why Mem? Because Mem 40 is a full cycle of cleansing, a full cycle of purification and elevation. Okay. For more on this topic of Rosh Cheshbon and, and uh, Noyach, Please go to episodes 135, 184, and 280. This is cross-referencing to other episodes. All this can be found at our powerful resource center at uh, chassidahsupply.com. All previous episodes are there. You can download them as podcasts in all different forms and fashions. There you could also, as I mentioned, submit any question or comment completely anonymously. And you have the other resources, the classes I do now daily in I Am Bayes, the different essays and writings on Samach Vov, Sadiq Dalit, and other Hasidic discourses. Of course, also the essays. This year we concluded right by, before Tishrei, we announced the sixth annual essay winners and creative winners. And I will, of course, be doing each week, I will be reviewing a few of those as well. So that can all be found at chassidusapply.com. Please take advantage of it. And... Uh, with that, we shall move now to a bunch of questions. Now, this is now four weeks since we didn't do the last program, so you could imagine the questions accumulated, and they've already been accumulating, so now I have even more backup, but I'm not complaining. It's actually a good sign. Halavai, only such good, good, good challenges to have more questions and more questions, and I really I can't tell you how much I appreciate and how touched I am, because this is a sign of a vibrant uh, relationship where there the questions and comments and rebuttals and agreements and disagreements 
That's what a relationship was about. It would be very sad if I did these programs and no one ever commented and there were no questions. I don't know how long I would actually continue because maybe nobody's interested. But the point being is that thank you for this because that's what the whole purpose of chassidus, the rabbeim, that's what they wanted. They wanted us to talk about this. Obviously, talking should lead to action. But the first step is awareness, discussion. And even, even if there's a disagreement, I'm not saying that there's any particular disagreement right now, but I'm, I don't mean disagreement in a negative way. I mean that there's a live, vibrant discussion with people's opinions. So please, see this as a provocation. I'm trying to provoke you. Anything I say that you feel you have a different opinion on or a different thought or an additional thought, please don't hesitate. I will not be insulted. I'll actually be insulted the other way around if you don't speak up. So I'm, I embrace uh, different opinions. This is the whole beauty of what diversity is about. Ain't they saying Shavas? The goal is to take Siddhis of the Rabbeim, apply it to our lives. And of course, in that context, there's so many different ways to apply things and different approaches. They don't necessarily have to contradict each other, but everyone enriches the other. We all enrich each other. So please see this as an invitation, actually a request from my heart, from the depths of my heart, that this is what I believe is one of the most important, if not the most important, mission of our time, to take the Torah and Chassidus of the Rabbeim, that they were Meser Nefesh, the hours, think of those the thousands of hours and blood, sweat and tears they invested in every word that they wrote, that they spoke, that they asked of us. Now we are in the Cheshvan state, where they gave us Tishrei, these resources, and we have to now to unpack it. The Yaakov Ha'al which we'll speak about a bit later at the end of the program, unpack it, as the Friedrich Rebbe writes in one of the Sikhs, that in Tishrei we gather so many resources, it's like when you travel, and then you, take, you, you gather all types of gifts and resources and treasures, and then you come back home, and you have to fananda pakin de peklach, means unpack, the peklach, the baggage, the luggage. So now you unpack it and we internalize it in our lives. That, this is what, what we are here for. And by doing so, especially in a time of need like this, we actually fulfill the, the core mission of the Deir Ashvi, to bring the Shekhinah down to this earth, to transform our very daily mundane, detailed lives, transform them to be a dira, a home, a channel, a, uh, a platform, a, uh, all the different expressions you can use to, of divine presence, which of course is the essence of what Geula is. Gili alakuz be'elam hazahagashmi. Gili erein sov be'elam hazahagashmi, as the Alter Rebbe says right at the outset, in the beginning of chapter 37 in Tanya, when he says the purpose of existence, tachlis, of Yemesa Mashiach and Chiyas HaMesim, is gili erein sov, v'nigla kveda Hashem v'roh kol bosu yachdov, so many of the prayers we said, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Simchas were all about this message. Recognizing that here in this material world. And each of us is indispensable in fulfilling this mission. Not a measure of, it's not a matter of measure of space or time. Doing what you can with your skills, with your opportunities, with your divine ordained place in this world to do exactly that and when we finish that process which of course is accumulative over all the generations 
The Geula is a natural result of it all. And the Rebbe has promised us and told us that we're right at the threshold. It's the, the tipping point. I am the last person to help explain why it hasn't happened yet. The Rebbe himself said many times in Fabrengen, why the Mashiach didn't come after all the signs have been fulfilled and we did all the Avedim, it's in the ending the Avedim, finished the, the, the work of refining the Birudim, the clarifications and separations and elevations of the world. That was the Rebbe's final response. I, have, I think I have a question. So questions we have, but questions don't impede us from moving forward. A soldier in the army cannot stop forward movement, forward progress due to the fact we have questions. You have questions, fine. Find the time. You talk about it with yourself, with your mashpia, people you trust. But we move forward and we forge ahead. It's a new year. And despite when someone says, well, what happened last year and two years ago, three years ago? Yes, of course, we all can, we all can retreat into the voice of the cynic or the skeptic and say, if it didn't happen until now, what's going to happen now? But that, as we know, is not coming from necessarily the holy voice in ourselves. That's coming from the, the, from the weaker voice or the skeptic voice, the demoralizing voice. So we have to embrace the other voice that says, no, what can we do that hasn't been done till now? We look forward. We cannot look back. You can learn from what's the past to not repeat the same mistakes and to improve upon them. But the goal here is to move forward. We're in a new year. Alter Rebbe says in the Geras Akedah, Simeon Yadal, a new unprecedented energy that was never here before has entered into existence. Now it's our job to unpack that energy to internalize it, to uh, present it to, to all those that we come in contact with. I am totally committed to this, more and stronger than ever. If it wasn't, if not now, this global wake-up call, when? And if not you, who? So this is where we're at right now, and this is the commitment that we all should be making, each in our own way, as we enter this new year, going from Tishrei into Cheshv. Well, now the segue into the, the big majority of questions that came in the last weeks has, of course, been this chaos that just doesn't seem to go away. As I mentioned earlier, this chaos is now on so many different levels. It began ostensibly with the pandemic back in March, whenever we uh, registered it, which affected, of course, health issues, travel, Pesach plans, school, public uh, assembly, who has not been impacted one way or another? Our jobs. We all know what's going on the last seven months. Everyone thought at some point this is going to die down. And by June, July, August, it will all be over. We go back to normal. Well, that hasn't exactly happened. And it still remains hanging the uncertainty. Suffolk is one of the worst things. Suffolk, Gimatria Malik. There's no joy as resolving doubts. The doubt. And then, of course, the other questions. The different conflicting messages we get. The first internal frustrations we have. Throw in politics. I mean, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's disgraceful. How it's just come a power-grabbing situation. The hatred. Inability to communicate. I mean, I can go on and on. And it doesn't help the situation when you're aware of it. And how much of that distorts and impacts our health 
situation. Who could you believe? Who can't you believe? Are they using it for political purposes? All these are now coming to the head. Then we had, of course, the whole uprising after the murder, the killing of George Floyd. Whether you call it a murder or not is also up to debate. The point being is that it doesn't, didn't help the situation. And unfortunately, we don't have leaders. Nobody is showing clarity and direction. There may be people that have their heads screwed on right, but even that has to be determined. I mean, it's, it's a big mess. And yet, here we are, the Jewish people. We've been through a lot more and a lot worse. That doesn't sound in a chumah, it's not a consolation, but it means we have something to hold on to. Yes, we do. We have the, the Ebeshter, we have the Teireh, I remember clearly when the Rebbe once said in the Fabrengen, it doesn't say, it says, you can learn Teda and also not be free. Because you learn Teda, but maybe you're not learning it the proper way, and you're still consumed by world politics and other things. But if you want to be free, you cannot be free except Teda. Why not? Why can't a person be a free human being? Everyone feels in a democracy like the United States or other countries, I'm a free person. Nobody's imprisoning me. I'm not, take, I'm not being held hostage. I'm not under threat. Because being a prisoner, being a, not being a, let's put it this way, a ben chayden is more than just the absence of prison. A truly free person is not just someone who doesn't have a ball and chain. A truly free person is a person whose spirit, whose mind, whose heart is not held hostage by others, someone who's not a conformist, someone who's not impacted by what others think, someone who's not defined by the politics of the moment, because they hold on to the Ebrishter's Teda from another reality. The Teda comes from another reality. It's giving you a taste of another reality. Freedom is only possible in another reality, because as long as it's man-made, even if it's so-called a free institution, it's still coming from the same place where the problems come. So can a mortal give another mortal freedom? Yes, we can write laws. The founding fathers established a country, as the Rebbe called it, a divine ordained country, because they based it on Torah principles, that a God, a creator, endowed human beings with unalienable rights. And all, as a result of that, all people are created equal. But if you don't invoke the God in the Torah, and there are books that have already documented how the Founding Fathers built their principles. One person calls it um, uh, Michael Novak in his book called On Two Wings. He writes that it's based on Torah metaphysics. They were not Jews. They were Christians. But regardless, whatever denomination or non-denomination, that's what they built it upon. Because you could only find freedom this world, because we're not free human beings if you think about mortality. We're dependent on food, on drink, on shelter, on clothing, on health. We're fragile human beings. It is the, by virtue of the fact that we were created in the divine image, as we read last, yesterday, Shabbos, Bereshis. By virtue of the fact that God gives us God-given tools and resources that allows us to rise above the din, above the turbulence, of a material world. Materialism, by definition, holds us hostage. doesn't matter how much money you have, how much power you have. As I said, prison is not just prison 
physical prison. It's also prison in the mind. If you feel that you cannot be a person, a complete person, without material success and money and so on, as the Afridi Kareba said to that person who pointed the gun to him, he says, this gun can frighten someone who has one God and one world and many gods, but not someone who has one God and two or many worlds. So Tehidah allows us to rise above this whole noise and not be defined by it. And that is ultimately our refuge. And that's exactly what we do. That's Pashas Neach. Mayim Rabim, Mayim Rabim, the turbulent waters, Daigasa Parnosa, the worries of livelihood, or the worries of health, or the worries of all the uncertainties we're dealing with. Mayim Rabim of our day died. There's no better two words to describe the upheavals of our time. Build a Selecha Teva. Build a Teva, says the Baal of Teva. You could use another word for a boat. There's Aniya, there's Sfina. Teva, from the word Teva, from word. A Teva is a word. The Tevas of Teda and Tefillah, the words of Teda and Tefillah, they become the ark, the oasis, the refuge from the turbulent waters, the raging flood waters around us, whatever they may be, whether they were Golis Mitzrayim back then, or Golis Bavel, or Golis Remi Edem, whatever Golis we went through, the, the more lenient ones and the harsher ones. But we have that the Tevas Ateira or the turbulence of our times. And that is what allows us to be ben and to be free and be defined by that. And then you look at the world around you and say, okay, how does it fit into God's plan? Instead of starting off with the beginning, okay, what do the candidates say? What do the health experts say? Obviously, the Tate itself tells us to listen to health experts, which we'll talk about in a moment more. But it's all based on, because God created a world, and he said, the world, I want to be, there's guidelines. How to follow the instructions, and so on. So that's an introduction that's going to answer a few questions that were asked, and I want to address those questions now. And I refer you again to episodes 300 and on, where I spoke some of these themes and ideas when it all began, the pandemic, back in March, back Purim time. Which health guidelines should we be following today according to the Teda? Well, we know like this. The Teda told us, That means God, the, the special posseh comes to give permission for a healer to heal. If you look in the Gemara, because there could be a Havamina, that not that, that's not the case. Maybe God is the healer. Only God is the healer. No. And it's, stims with the, it's consistent with the whole way the Tater works. The Tater says, the Tater was given into so-called a world of human beings that are subject to the laws of nature. So of course it's all governed by God. But even though there's Shem Havaya, there's Shem Elikim, in nature God said, follow in Shem Chenalanes, do not rely on miracles. Even though of course God can perform any miracle, we pray to God for miracles, for healing, but I want you to work with the, the blessings I implanted. The doctor is not the healer, I'm the healer, but I'm doing it through the doctor. So yes, we have to listen to doctors. But what happens, which one should we follow when you have doctors of different opinions? So the way Tater answers, answers this question, and the Rebbe cites it many times, go to the doctors, you know, you trust. Even the medical profession, they say, who's your primary 
medical doctor? Who's your primary medical, uh, whatever the word is? So there is the idea of a doctor who knows you. Trust. If you have a question about one doctor says something, go to a second. And if you need, go to a third. Then you follow two out of three. Is it subjective? Because if you went to three other doctors, you may get different opinions. But those are the ones that are handy and, and that you trust. You did Rafe. Rafe, you did, as the Rebbe writes in so many letters. So that's a simple call the Poshet Mailitve. Sometimes the simplest approach is the best approach. Tomim Tim Hashem We don't need to overthink this. How many letters did the Rebbe write? Don't become a doctor. You're not a doctor. You go to the doctor, trust him. You put your head on learning Tater, doing mitzvahs, following what Hashem wants. Hand in hand with listening. So this is, so even though it's confusing, yes, and you can question whether your doctor has been brainwashed or he's part of this party or that party, so go to a second. And if you need, go to two out of three. That's the simplest answer to this question. And I've had it from so many people have asked me this question, both in writing, in person, on the phone, and so on. Okay, but this, of course, goes into a little more complicated discussion. And I'll share with you just before I continue. It was a chassid who wrote to the Rebbe, he had an issue. So the Rebbe said to go to Yedidim Evinim, friends that are experts. He writes back to the Rebbe, I don't want friends, I want the Rebbe's advice. So the Rebbe says, Vos ardir, why does it bother you? That I'll answer you through the friends, the experts. In other words, when the Tater says, go to a doctor, that's the way Hashem is answering you. Obviously, coupled with that should be Amunah and Betochen and Tragut Vedzangut and all that comes with that. That's also part of the healing. So when we go to someone, we're actually going to, that's like going to the Tater. That's what we should be doing because Tater is ultimately not man-made. It's not man-made science. It's not subject to man-made ideas. Medicine is. Healing is not the actual power of healing. But the methods used is ultimately human beings have devised different methods, and Hashem blesses them, and some are successful, and hopefully all are successful. But when you get a directive from a doctor, it's like getting a directive that the Tata is telling you. So it's the Tata intervening, and Hashem is intervening. And again, I said how to do that when you have conflicting, I already mentioned how to address that. But let's go a little more controversial, shall we say. Why do so many members of the community disregard social distancing and limitation of numbers of congregants' rules mandated by the city of New York? Look at the pictures of Slicha services at 770 or other synagogues throughout the high holiday season. Doesn't such conduct, potential exposure to a deadly virus and the potential to expose others to illness or death, defy the mandates of both Teda and the law of the land? How does it not set a bad example of the Jewish community to the rest of society? It exposes everyone to contracting illness that can kill or seriously compromise the health of people for years to come. Your thoughts. Another person writes, this is just two of, I would say, at least 30 questions in similar vein, and sometimes the opposite approach. So second question. Why is it that when a rabbi says, write God's name in a mezuzah, and put it on your door for protection, everyone listens. But when a rabbi says, follow doctor's advice and wear a mask for your and others' protection, many don't listen. Are we allowed to pick and choose which mitzvahs we follow and when we follow the rabbis? If so, can I just not pick, can I just pick not to keep Shabbos, for example? Okay, well, 
Let me address it in the context. I am talking here strictly from a Teirach Siddhis approach. What we learned from the Rebbe in prece- another prece- another, pre- other using precedents of situations that happen, not necessarily pandemic, but similar ideas, health issues. If your doctor tells you, and you go to a second doctor, and two out of three tell you to wear a mask, or whether you should travel or not, or whether you should go to shul or not, that's what you should listen to. This is not about a mandate of New York. The doctors know what those mandates are. Now, I'm not suggesting that New York can't give out a mandate. We hope it's based on true medical advice. But there are others that are arguing that it's politically driven. Look at recently, we're going to talk about it shortly, about the protests. Is it political? They're targeting Jewish communities and not other communities. Look what happened to the Black Lives Matter protests. Why didn't they enforce laws then? So some are arguing that many of these guidelines are political. And some say even worse than political. It's all about just winning an election. So they painted their own reality. I am not here coming to Paskin and give you which way it is, because I I could see a gray area. Some things are true, some things not so true, some have different opinions. One thing is clear, nobody knows exactly what's going on. If they knew what's going on, they'd have it under control. So clearly, even the methods that they're trying to enforce, are they working? Has lockdown worked? Are masks working? What would it be like without masks? So I am not going to rule on this, I'm not a doctor. I definitely know that there are medical issues involved, but there are also political issues involved, and there are also other nonsense involved. We all know that. I hope we all know that. So how do you find clarity? But the Abishta still created us and gave us a tailor. That's why I said, let's go to the simple approach. Find your doctor. Listen to him or her. If you need two out of three, two out of three, and that's that. You want to talk about the politics of it? We could talk about it. But that's not the key. The key is what to do. Now, regarding, therefore, your question, the answer is this. If doctors indeed and Rabbonim gave guidelines, then it's absolutely reckless and hepachatera for someone to defy that. Whether people travel during the high holiday, they high holiday season that they shouldn't have, or people are, not, are disregarding different rulings. But let's not make the city of New York God. Let's not make that tera. It's the tera that says, Now, the city of New York is a government, and they have medical experts, and we're hoping they're following them. That's why I'm saying, to really get clarity, speak to your own doctors. I would assume that most doctors are following most of these guidelines, even though some are skeptical, for different reasons. Remember, there's also another factor, that even if you can question whether masks and social distancing are really the right approach to take, there's the Chil Hashem element. If many people feel it is, and you stand out, that also is a factor that has to be taken into account. That's why I add now, in addition to doctors, also talk to Rabbonim. And competent Rabbonim are in consultation with doctors. So find a Rav, your Rav, the person you trust. You say, I don't know who to trust. Well, that's sad. Maybe you should have found someone before. Okay, you didn't. So find someone now. But you have to have an objective opinion. And there's a Keyechatera. You know that when Bezdin Paskins, that Rishchidus is a certain day, and later they find out it was a mistake because the new moon was in another day, it still goes according to Bezdin. There's a Kayachatayr. Now, obviously, if you have information, give it to the Rav, give it to the doctor. I didn't say you can't challenge your doctor, but you're not a doctor and you're not a Rav. At the end of the day, that's who we follow. And thank God for that, because if we didn't have Reifim and we didn't have Mumchim and we didn't have the Rabbonim, then what? Who, who are you, you going to turn to? then it becomes completely free-for-all. Okay.
So my answer is I'm not going to defend. I, I totally agree that if there are guidelines passed out and the Rabbonim and the doctors are stating that, it's absolutely reckless for people to have different type of conduct, especially putting others at danger. And I've heard very strong statements about places like 770 and other places, what Rabbonim said. The fact that people are not listening, that's absolutely reckless. It's, it's, just, it's worse than a, a mezuzah on your door, maybe, in a way. Because this is pekoach nefesh. But at the same time, I'm not disregarding that there are controversies, but, but that doesn't mean we should take the law in our own hands and medicine in our own hands. At the end of the day, there's a guidelines with Taylor. And as I said, there's a way to come at the determination. You can't go to 100, you can't keep going to doctors until you find the right one that fits your, your opinion. That's not the way to go. Taylor, the whole point of Taylor and authorities is to listen to them. So that's my response, and I absolutely condemn anyone that does anything, medicine, and guidelines. But it should be filtered through the authorities that we can rely on, that we know. Okay. With conflicting messages coming from different sources about our behavior during these times, what and who should we believe? So I think I touched upon this a bit in the previous discussion here, but I'll just go further. The conflicting messages, depending who they're coming from. If they're coming from politicians, I would say you can't believe anybody. Because everyone has an agenda. They want to be re-elected, or they want to be elected. They have power grabs, they have all kinds of agendas. They may be right, maybe not right. The Tater never says, go to politicians to know what to do. That's why I go back, the Tater says, go to Rabonim. Go to the Rishus Lerei Best is both of those together. That's how I would approach it. So there's a conflicting message. Like some are arguing very strongly now that masks have not helped. Lockdowns do not help. I've read many articles. Again, I'm not going to rule on this. I did not do research. I'm also not in the capacity. I'm not a medical authority. And I'm not a PASIC. This needs to be addressed. If you see such articles, bring it to your authority. Let them, read it. Let them do the research. That's the job of a Akhroi. I have my areas of responsibility. I'm going to do my research. Before I speak here, I make sure I'm going to say what I research. I'm not just saying things that come from a whim. So that's what I would say. I go back to En Lecha Ben Cheren again, Teira. The conflicting messages can be so confusing and so exacerbating, so frustrating, even worse. They could drive you crazy. You literally see such conflicting messages. So the question is, maybe it's time to shut down the media in your life. As I said, if you go call the Poshet Mailitve. You go to Arov, you go to your doctor, and combined, both. Maybe things will be a lot simpler. Because when you listen to that, what's going on, the chatter, the pundits, and then the media just adding to the fuel to the fire, it's one big mess. I'd like someone to tell me some clarity you're getting from all these opinions. So I don't know what to say. I, would just, I, I go back to if practical things. You and your family and your community, we have directives. The bigger picture... I'm going to have to rely on God. Leif Sodom and Malachim Biyad Hashem. God figured out what to do four years ago, the election. I'm, I trust that God will figure out what to do now. The media, can the media be trusted? I think it's a rhetorical question. I don't think they can be trusted. They also have agendas. And sometimes we don't even know the agendas, so it makes it even worse. But we are not without solutions. Solutions we turn to the higher forces. Like the Friedrich Rebbe said, Ain't got. 
We have one God and one Tater. That is our uh, redemption. That's our salvation. Okay, next question. What attitude should we have to the government's enforcement of health measures in Orthodox Jewish communities and to the protests and mass burnings in response? Are Jews being unfairly targeted? If yes, what should we do about it? Okay. Well, the problem is that there's truth to both sides of the story here. There's no question when you start looking closer, especially in the city of New York, I'm sure in other cities as well, but New York, California, but New York, we've seen this, that there were public gatherings. I believe there's one now in Washington today. There was one in Washington. There was the Black Lives Matter protests in New York where they did not see enforcement, not only not enforcement of uh, health guidelines, but not enforcement of law in general. It was looting complete, uh, complete uh, chaos in the streets, complete lawlessness. So then suddenly you see a crackdown on a certain community or a shul. You say, what's going on here? Where's the equal treatment? If it's equal treatment, there's one thing. So that right away provokes people to say, okay, let's burn mass and the demonstrations. Is that right? No, I wouldn't condone that either. I understand where it's coming from, but maybe there has to be other ways, in court, in the media, through information. I do not believe that's a tailor way that we should get up and protest with burning masks, which creates a very wrong message, especially by people who may be even wearing masks, and behavior that's not fitting for a Jew. Gain Yankee. Ask your Rav before you do a protest like this. Is there a Rav that... And don't look for one radical Rav. Talking about people who are accepted, who you accept always. And I, and I already said earlier, two out of three if necessary. So the problem is when two wrongs are going, it's very difficult to address it. Because from Allah Zaitan, you have a problem from all sides. So there's no question if you do indeed believe and see certain type of focus and emphasis, like I said, in the Orthodox Jewish communities, whether it's anti-Semitic or because they are anti-Trump, the people uh, enforcing and so on. Definitely take measures. I did not say we should be passive. But the measures should not be through methods that others have been using that are far more, look, seem even criminal at times. Because it does not create the right impression. It's not the tailor approach. So that's my general response to that. And again... If someone's behaving in a reckless way, even if they have a good reason why they're doing so, that does not justify a pitata to do things that put people at risk, health-wise or otherwise. With unrest in Borough Park, someone writes, this past week, between those who want their schools open during a pandemic and those who say, please follow health officials' advice and wear masks and don't have large gatherings, I want to ask a serious question. What is, a mes- what is mesida? Mesir in Hebrew means when you inform on someone to authorities. Is there really a locha that allows the community to beat up or even kill a Mosir? Meaning that the community can go beat up and kill someone who's an informer? To my understanding, Mesir would apply in a case that, let's say, where two neighbors are having a dispute over property lines and fences and can't resolve their dispute amicably. And then for revenge, one neighbor calls the czar and says, hey, this guy has a secret illegal mikveh in his basement to get the guy arrested or worse. But in a case where, let's say, an unstable person walks into a school with a weapon and makes a violent threat and someone calls the police, to me that would not be Mesir. 
That takes an action to help prevent people from being injured. Yes, it's called a redif. I'm adding that. So if two men in Barpar call the police to report a shul having unsafe practices during a pandemic, that shouldn't be masidin. Also, let's say there's a case where someone actually is a masid, an informer. If someone calls out the masid publicly, wouldn't it make the person who called them out also a masid? Is it truly an absurd world we live in? It is truly an absurd world we live in. Hashem help us. Thank you, Rabbi Jacobs, and I respect your opinion and await hearing what you think about the situation. Well, you touch upon important points. Masid is not a small matter. I do not want to paskin. I never paskin in this program. This is a question for Rav, to be honest. No, I do not believe that even if someone is a Muslim and did something wrong, should go beat him up in public or those things like that. But you have to address it with Rav. Because they can argue, the shul can argue, we don't believe in those health principles that the government is making. So what are you informing on us? It's not that we are behaving recklessly. They don't agree that they're reckless. If they were indeed reckless, you see a person with a knife running in the street, everyone agrees it's a danger. So it's a din raid. If there's no mesira, there's no lashon hara, there's none of these laws apply. Pekuach nefesh. The question is, is it pekuach nefesh? Is going on a plane pekuach nefesh with a mask? I've been on a plane. So sitting in a shul with a mask, pretty close, like it is in a plane, is that less pekuch, more pekuch nefesh? So I'm not here to paskin. I'm not even trying to throw questions on it. I'm just pointing out that first you have to establish what is right and what is wrong. Then establish if someone was a Muslim, and then what you do with a Muslim. Just trying to be uh, sober about it instead of emotional about it. There's a tater for these things. And I emphasize it again. Why do we have tater if not for these issues? In Shemayim, they don't need Tere. There's no such disagreements. Everything is clear. In Tafkin here, like Moshe told the Malachim, Were you ever in Mitzrayim? Do you ever have a temptation to kill someone? Do you have a father and mother? It's precisely in a world like ours where we have these challenges why we need Tere. And now more than ever. And that would clear up a lot of things if we all listened to Tere. Now, you can have two different Tate authorities have different opinions. That's why I said, you go to the Rav, the Rav of your, of your community, the one you trust. You go to two out of three. Hopefully the Rabboni maybe can come together in a time like this and find some consensus and even describe situations that may have exceptions. And one final question, cosmic message. What higher message is there to be learned from the confluence of chaos happening now in so many areas, from the pandemic to the political, racial, economic, etc.? So briefly, because of limited time, let me say this. I spoke about this a lot in episode 300 and on. The two main things I take away when do research in Teir and Halacha and history about pandemics, Yesh Dever, Sugi and Gemar and Baba Kamed, Afsamach Hamidez, Bord Shulchan Aruch, when there's a plague, what to do? Two things. A sakona, a danger, is much harsher than an isur. That's why pikuach nefesh is dechik, all the isurim. So let's say on Yom Kippur, to save a life, you have to eat a piece of chazer, Rahman al-Islam. I say Rahman al-Islam not because of Yom Kippur, because of chazer. To save a life on Yom Kippur, that's called sanctifying Yom Kippur. Because sakona, Except the three things, Yarag Val Yaver, and So that's the first thing. Pikuach Nefesh, even 1% Suffolk. You 
err on the side of caution. That's why even if there's doubts and I go back, good Rabbonim will say, if there's doubts, it's enough for me. I, can I say for sure that wearing a mask is going to save lives? But there's a doubt that maybe it will. Or social distancing, or causing a shul, or limiting uh, public uh, assembly, and so on. So that's one tremendous important thing. It's not Mesiris Nefesh to be able on something with Pekuach Nefesh. Mesiris Nefesh, if there's a from a government that you shouldn't be a Yud, it's one thing. But when it comes to Pekuach Nefesh of health, that, oh, that is greater than everything. The second thing that far less people are aware of, it's a Lamaila when there's a global pandemic, a communal, a Makas Medina. We learn it all from the Pesach when the Ebrister says, Makas B'cheres, the first plague, the tenth plague, of the first killing of the firstborn. Va'atem, Moshe says to them, Le'seitsu ish me'pesach be'se, ad be'ker. You should not leave the home till the morning. What, the Ebrister couldn't tell between a Mitzri and a Jew? But Nitneshus Lamashkis, Rashi brings from the Gemara, from Medrash, it's a time where you have to be humble. A time, don't rock the boat. Don't dance in front. Why do we quiet on Yom Kippur? Martin Taylor was with Kalos of Rock with a lot of sound. It created an Ayin Hora. Now, after the Chet Eagle, be humble. Serve quietly. There are times that we have to lay low. We don't have to be arrogant. Whatever's going on in heaven, we don't know. So a time like this, be humble. Stay low. Don't have to become a whole activist and so on. You see an injustice? Absolutely. Act on it. There are many ways to act on things. We have courts. We have other ways. But I think it's vital that all of us have that sense of humility. It's critical, especially in a time like this. Don't rock the boat. You don't have to shift things. I've been invited many places. Some, I don't go, not because I, I've had COVID already. So in a way, I'm immune. Who knows, to be honest. But I don't want to rock the boat. There's no need. I'm a public person. People see, they learn, they don't, they interpret, don't interpret. I'm just giving you an example. I'm a believer, it's yellow light. Proceed with caution. You have to do something? So check with a rav, with a doctor, etc. You don't have to. What? You have to do certain things that are optional. This doesn't mean you're living in fear. On the contrary, you're living up here, up here where the Eberster wants. That's the most single, most important thing of all. I think I covered this. As far as the cosmic message, just briefly, Chassidus talks about yesh, ayin, yesh. Whenever there's a new world order to be born, a new reality, you have to go through an ayin, a disruption. So those disruptions can be painful and and, and loss and death. But overall, I have no question in my mind. The cosmic message is the world is going through a disruption, preparing it for a new world order. It's called Geula Mitzvah Vashlema. So the cosmic, when you, when you see a confluence of so many disparate events, they're just adding to complete unknown and uncertainty. Yeah, you can be thrown by it, or you learn to navigate and say, you know what, this is leading to something greater. I don't really see why, how. I don't see how. I'm sorry, I don't see what it's going to be yet, but I will navigate. That's what a good swimmer does. We'll talk more about this, but due to limits of time, let me just... Um, Finish with the Chassidus question, and I want to announce, I want to just talk about the essay and the creative contest briefly. So the Chassidus question is, what is the significance of saying, V'yakav halach ledarke, 
at the end of the Tishrei holidays. Well, this is a pizgim from the Rabbeim. comes from the Posik in, in the Parsha by Yetzeh. When Yaakov is leaving love and going back to Tisol, the Yaakov Holochadah, Yaakov went on his way. So they use this, that after Tishrei, and all the Giluim of Tishrei, when Yaakov Holochadah, the Jew goes on his way, literally after the Aliyah Leregel, Sukkis, people return to their homes. But this also applies in general, also spiritually, we're going from Tishrei, as I mentioned before, the saturated month of holiness and, and all the high, high holidays, going to back to each one to our way. The Rebbe explains in the Sikhs of Tov Shalamet Ches, Metzoy Shabbos Bereshis, and Noyach, how each, there's Tkufis. In Vukokha it says already Sukkis. The beginning, for the second day of Sukkis is already V'yakov Holochadarke. Some places it says after Simchas Teda, some place Shabbos Bereshis. Some say Zayin Cheshven, Pashas Noyach. Because there are stages as we transition from the high and the power of Tishrei into Cheshven. I explained more the whole idea earlier. But that's the Vyakov Holochadarke. And it's Vyakov, not Yisrael, Vyakov, because it's Akev, Yud Akev. Because we're going on our way in the Akev, sometimes the heel, where there's more concealment in this world. So the beginning of the Pasha says, Vayetzi Yakim Be'er Sheva, Vayelech Harona. He went from Be'er Sheva to Harona. And now he's going back, Yakov Holochadarke, going back on his way to deal with the worldly matters filled with all the Aveda that he did for the 20 years with Avedas Hatsein and so on. Now, before Tishrei, we announced the sixth annual Maila Chassidus Applied Essay and Creative Contest. So the custom has been that I've been reading and reviewing briefly. So I did, before Yontif, the last program, episode 326, I did the first place winner of the essay and first place of the creative I will now do the first place, the second place essay and creative. And next week I also want to do the Hebrew essays, but let me do now the second place essay. The second place winner, $3,600 winner, was Shana Slavin, Shlucha Machna Yehuda Yerushalayim, home city Sydney, Australia, age 20. The topic, a time to heal. I must say that this essay is heart-wrenching. And I, anyone's going to read it, which is a, a, available at uh, chassidusapply.com. Just brace yourself. It's a very, very raw essay about abuse, but extremely powerful, especially anyone dealing with this. Very empowering. I have heard a lot of, lot of comments of people how much this essay has helped them. So, so just, it's a unique essay in that sense, and dealing with unfortunate real pain abuse situation and with practical suggestions. Anyone dealing with this has not yet dealt with this is a must-read essay. It'll help you get through it, or at least begin the process of healing, talking about it. Those that are ready in it, this can also be very helpful. So I'm not going to read the details of it. I let, leave it to you. Um, but it is a, a real tribute. A person who had the courage at 20 years old to write such an essay, I must say. It's quite, uh, quite impressive. As far as the creative contest... This the second place is Sarah Blau, extracurricular director of Beis Rivka from Brooklyn, New York, age 31. Her topic was Soaring Free, and the format, the creative format she used was mixed media with text and visual. So just to read briefly, in an age when so many grapple with the dark side of human emotions, even to the extent of addiction and suicide ideation, it is crucial to address it head on. She talks about pain and negative feelings based on a mimer of Ayichai Sara of the Rebbe, and um, using the different approaches that Rebbe talks about in that Maimed, 
and turns it into a, uh, a, uh, an actual musical and nar na narration that's very moving. And again, you can find these at citysupply.com right at the homepage. And with that, with that, we conclude this week's episode. Welcome back. I welcome myself back to now, hopefully, an uninterrupted continuum every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. My Life Citus Supplied, episode 327. Next week will be 328. Please submit your questions. Everyone should have a good healthy year. A good month of Cheshvan. The whole year should be we see with our own eyes wonders in health, in Parnassa, in livelihood, in Nachas from children, Nachas from ourselves, in marrying off children, from our grandchildren, and in every aspect of life, all in the best of health. Everyone be well and have a good Nachedush.